The rule of three states, things that come in threes, are inherently more appealing than those that don't. With the next generation GMC Sierra, Canyon, and Sierra Heavy Duty, we couldn't agree more. Whether you choose to have the world's first six-function multi-pro tailgate, available only on the next generation GMC Sierra SLT, AT4, and Denali models, to confidently take on heavy loads with the available 6.6-liter .6 V8 Duramax turbo diesel in the GMC Sierra Heavy Duty, or to get behind the wheel of the only mid-size premium pickup on the road, the GMC Canyon, you'll realize all three help you do one thing. Go professional grade. Step up to GMC and get 20% below MSRP on next-generation 2019 GMC Sierra Double Cab and SLE Crew Cab models with a traditional tailgate. We are professional grade. GMC. Offer includes price reduction below MSRP and purchase allowance. Not available with special financing lease and some other offers. Take retail delivery by 9319. See participating dealer for details. Hi, this is Tony Ruggiero, the Dew Sweeper. You're about to listen to an episode of The Tour Coach, which is going to give you an inside look at coaching golf at the very highest level from on the PGA Tour with my guys all the way to here at Mobile, Alabama in the Dew Sweeper Dome as we help folks of all skill levels, all walks of life, learn to achieve their golfing goals. Welcome into the Tour Coach Podcast. This is one of my favorite ones to have done. Uh, sit down with Lee Williams. And if you're not familiar with Lee, Lee was a two-time member of the United States Walker Cup team. He was the number one amateur in the world, played on the World Cup, a phenomenal talent. I don't know many people that worked harder than him at all. I played on the web, played all many tours, got to the PGA Tour, had his PGA Tour career cut short by injury. One of the most likable, most nice, fun guys you're ever going to meet. And he was really the first PGA Tour player that I got to work with that took me out on tour. So he's kind of the beginning of all of this, really, is I learned a ton from Lee about handling myself out there, teaching tour players because it's different. You've heard like me and Bill Harmon talk about that in a previous podcast and with different folks. And and so he was a huge resource for me. And he obviously a, a great friend. We've known each other a long time. So the opportunity to teach him was really a cool thing for me. I hate that his career was cut short and I mean, I, you know, bang our head against the walls for hours trying to see if anybody could find a way to fix his back. But I think you're going to enjoy, there's some humor in this. We enjoy making fun of each other, but I also think that you'll see, like, I hope you see with all these, like we genuinely are friends and really care about each other. And that's why part of the reason it works so well. And I've taken so much of, from what I did with Lee to help the other folks. And I still, to this day, in the car, lots of times he'll pick up the phone and bounce things off of Lee about players because he was such a great player and such a good person and, and such a good resource to bounce things off of. And he's still a huge resource of mine. And I think you'll enjoy listening to Lee Williams on this edition of The Tour Coach. The idea behind this podcast has been to give people kind of an inside behind the scenes look and we get a bunch of emails and stuff. And I thought it'd be kind of cool to go back to where the, you know, you know, where it all began. And I mean, you were just a huge influence on my early teaching on tour because I learned a lot about how to conduct myself, how to conduct business out there, how to teach tour players, as well as have fun. I don't know that there's too many people that have had more fun and made more fun of each other than you and I have out there on tour. <laughs> No doubt. <laughs> we'll tell. I mean, you know, when I bought the 
$24 macaroni and cheese for a kid <laughs> and put it on your expense bill. I think that was my favorite. <laughs> well, I, th- I think I think that whole week kind of goes down in the favorites column when you're staying at a nicer hotel than I was at uh, New Orleans and brought the family and you brought the family in tow and I get get the bill for the week and I'm like, oh my gosh, what in the world did you buy? What were you eating? And you just thought it was the funniest thing because of how frugal I am. And I would say cheap. You know, I'd say frugal. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> you, uh, you just got the biggest kick out of Macaroni Man, Yvonne, and you eating on me for a few days and staying at, the, I think you stayed at the W that week. JW right Marriott. There. Was it JW Marriott? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Either way, really nice. And I'll, yeah, that's a story that, that, that you love telling. I actually like telling it too, even though I haven't, I need to get you back for that. Well, so let's be fair. So we had started working together. Now we'd known each other for years because you, you worked through college with my longtime mentor, Hank Johnson. And so we knew each other since you were in college. And I think that's kind of how that relationship started and why we ended up working together when you were a professional. But when you came and you asked me if I'd go to New Orleans, that's when the Zurich was still a an individual event. And you asked if I'd go. And I said, well, we already have spring break plans. And you're like, you know, you really needed some help. And I said, all right, well, let me rearrange this. I'll take the family to New Orleans. So I did rearrange our spring break. But I did take a little advantage. <laughs> and, and you said, hey, I'm going to pay your expenses. And so, I mean, the only thing I could find was an expensive hotel. And then I took a, I guess I took like a six-year-old to an Emerald Lagasse restaurant and put it all on your. <laughs> that only eats macaroni. Yeah, that only eats macaroni. And then those $24 glasses of wine in the lobby at the JW Marriott that I got every time I walked to my room. Oh, God. Oh, shoot. I, I don't even buy $24 bottles of wine, much less. We know. Glasses. We know. Well, let's talk about the work we did together. So, you know, going back to that, uh, I, I tell a bunch of stories about you that I learned. And in fact, I said, I told one the other day to somebody that was working with me over at Frederica, where I said, you know, they came in for a lesson and, you know, it was, or we'd worked a little while. And I said, you know, there really isn't much to do. And the, you know, the guy kind of looked at me and I said, well, you know, I remember when we were working and again, I hadn't worked with, you know, Bobby Wyatt, I'd taught Bobby for a long time and Robbie Shelton for a long time, but you were the first person I taught that at the time was on tour. And I remember you came down to work and I said like, Hey, you're, you're hitting, you're doing everything great. And you said, man, if I come down here and you tell me that everything's great, he goes, and I don't need to do anything different. He's like, you're like, I'm okay with that. Cause that means I've been doing the right stuff all along, which is different than a lot of people approach working with a teacher. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think as you get older, you appreciate that more. I think, I think the younger that you are, you're always, or at least for me, I was always wanting to, to be doing something. And it took me a little bit of time to realize that, you know, it's not a bad thing when someone says not really much to work on just keep monitoring the things that we've been doing, which is easy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. that's, it's tough when you're grinding and having to work on something all the time and to get to a point to where the things that you've been working on are kind of coming together and you're getting more comfortable with it and it's flowing throughout the whole bag. And that was one of the things that I really liked about working with, with you, Tony, is that 
from putting to chipping to full swing, it all flows together. It's not like I get to to my full swing and I'm having to think about something different than I would on a 30-yard pitch shot or, you know, hitting uh, standard chip shots around the green. You know, it's all rotation, pivot driven. It's just really fluid, and I appreciated that more than anything. Same with putting. You know, mm-hmm. everything that you You're a great putter, full though. Swing, you know, it translates into putting. I mean, putting is a little bit different in terms of, you know, the setup and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, the way the, the motion is, is worked is the same way as you teach in the golf swing. And I really love that aspect, plus the fact that you could handle all of the games within the game, you know, without me having to consult with anyone else. To me, that was, you know, very, very important as well. The tour coach here, we've got the best sponsors in the entire world. And one of them, the folks at Vineyard Vines, take the best care of me that anybody in the world could. Always going above and beyond to make sure I've got the best apparel out there, as well as the best product and the best looking gear for me and all of my junior golfers and all the dew sweepers out there. And so now... We want to share the love with those of you that like the Tour Coach Podcast. So each and every week, we're going to start a contest, and we're going to draw a winner for a couple of $100 gift cards where you can go online and get you some great-looking Vineyard Vines golf. All you have to do is listen to the Tour Coach Podcast and then go on Twitter and tweet me at Golf and at Vineyard Vines, hashtag Tour Coach, and put one of whatever is your favorite part of the Tour Coach Podcast. You can do the same thing on Instagram. Go on Instagram, take a picture of the Tour Coach Podcast, put what your favorite part of it is, and then just tag me at the Dew Sweeper and at Vineyard Vines, hashtag Tour Coach, and we'll do a drawing each week, and you can be the lucky winner of some Vineyard Vines gear. One of the things I felt like we did good with you was we got you back to thinking, swinging, playing, pitching, chipping, putting like you did when you played great golf coming out as an amateur, right? And talk a little bit about, because I see it a lot and I've seen, I've taught some folks that when they, you know, that they're great college players or they're great amateurs and they come out and then they get lost. What are some of the things that happened to you that you felt when you look back on it now, Obviously, you got to the PGA Tour, and I don't have any doubt you were going to be uber successful on the tour had you not got hurt. But what are some of the things that, as you look back now, maybe kept you from getting there sooner or you wish you'd have done different coming out of school? I would just say consistency of working on the same thing over and over and over and over, you know, and and appreciating doing the same thing over and over and over and over. And, you know, it's hard to, to be patient and, you know, especially if you, if you have friends that, that you were playing against or that you are playing against that are having a lot of success before you may be or maybe got a good break or two before you did and, you know, trying to force something that really doesn't need to be forced. And to me, that was the hardest part. And, you know, I had, I went to a, a few different teachers, you know, in that time frame, call it, you know, seven or eight years, and some of it was self-inflicted. Some of it wasn't. Some of it, you know, I had I had very good reasons for for making a, a switch. You know, all I can say is that at the end, when when you and I got together, 
and I had the, the health issues that I was dealing with with my back and, you know, what you were, what you were working on with me, you know, I, I, I have no doubt that had a, a hundred percent shot at it, I would have, I would have done very well. And, and, you know, unfortunately it didn't, didn't work out that way, but I know I, I'd been to enough teachers to know good from bad. And, you know, I, I loved, absolutely loved the time that we spent together off the golf course, on the golf course, the way that you taught. You weren't dependent upon the camera, which I love that fact, you know, to, cause I, I'd get bogged down in the technicalities quick, mm-hmm. you know, where, where I was always wanting to video my golf swing. And I got away from a lot of that when, when you and I started working together because it became not important. It wasn't something that you did much and therefore, you know, the things that, that you did, you know, transitioned into what I would do in terms of, you know, how I manage myself away from you. You know, I would send you a video every now and then, but it wasn't like I was sending you videos constantly and, you know, obsessing over being perfect with my plane or, you know, the things that we were working on. I just tried to, you know, be a little bit, you know, simpler in, in the approach and, and, and take away what you were getting me to do was, you know, gonna gonna get me to where I wanted to go, but unfortunately, I had some physical limitations that weren't your fault. Well, I think that you know when I look at and then I again I followed you. Shoot, you and I texted and talked all the time way before we ever worked because I we you know we knew each other. And one of the things that I took from working with you was the need to make a player independent. Where like once they work and we do the things that you're working on you're not dependent on seeing a video every day and doing that, you know, and I think that that's a good lesson for golfers out there. And like you said, along with patience, I mean, I've heck I've had some junior golfers that, you know, I felt like we've done a really nice job and they get scholarships, go to good schools, you know, and then they hit a down stretch where they just don't play good for a couple months. And, you know, everybody wants to go get another answer and, and think that you're going to give them some, somebody's going to give them something brand new. And I think that that, you know, I, I don't see that very often, the jumping around. You've you've experienced it, but I don't see that that very often benefits the player. You know, I think that when you have a good program and you have a good, you know, relationship with your teacher and stuff, the bouncing around generally doesn't help. No, I agree. And I think, too, with, with you, for example, you have built up a track record of, let's just say, a junior golfer. I mean, you can probably – you probably have the stats to show it or the numbers, but I've seen several guys that you've worked with in junior golf or girls go from playing at a, you know, just a, a an average level in junior golf up to college, being successful and into the pros and being successful. And, you know, I mean, we could probably name three or four off the top of our, our head right now that you took from essentially just being a good player to being a great player over the last say 10 years. And so you've got a track record of doing that. And another thing that I really respected about what you do is from 10 years before when you and I first met one another to when we started working together, your message really hadn't changed. Maybe, maybe the technology behind the message, you know, as things have evolved with, uh, you know, track man and things like that, maybe, maybe that, that changed a little bit, but your core message was exactly the same. I agree with that. The, the way that I also, also loved, and you did something that I always tried to do, you were always trying to get around teachers 
that had been successful. And you know, I'm not going to name names on, on the show, but a few very, very highly rated teachers, one in particular, that, you know, kind of uh, took a liking to you. And same thing that I tried to do when I played golf was get around people that were better than me, that were better at certain shots or, or you know, maybe maybe they thought a little bit better than I did on the golf course or whatever it may be and try to pick their brain. And you did this, you've done the same thing and you continue to do that in teaching. I really respect that because a lot of people don't do that. And so two or three takeaways from me when I, when I looked at working with you and also look back on it is your message was always consistent, had been for years and you had a good track record. Great now, but at the time it was a good track record. Now it's great at getting people from, you know, being a, a decent player to being a great player. And you were always trying to get around people that were better than you. And, you know, those, that's all you can ask for, in my opinion, in, in a coach. You talked about playing with and learning from players that, you know, had been out there, had more experience than you. Talk a little bit about that because, I, you know, I encourage my young guys coming out on tour, and I did this with juniors. I think one reason our juniors have been successful, heck, you've come to numerous camps when you, you know, where you came and you talked to the juniors and you play some holes with them. But what did you learn from playing with better players? What were some of the lessons you learned? And I think that folks, I think it's such an underrated deal for good players. I think they get good and then they think it's almost like they're afraid to go ask somebody or they shy away from it. I think it's such a value to go play with people that have been out there longer had more success. It's a huge deal to be open to do that. One thing in particular that sticks out is when you hang around people that are really good, they don't hit the panic button very fast, number one. Number two, I think that anytime you're around people that are better than you, it just it pushes you even harder, and it just makes you better. I don't, I don't know. I can't give an exact science to that, but, you know, someone, there's not many industries or boards that you have access to the variety of people that you do in golf. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're in other businesses where you're competing against somebody, they're not going to share their info with you. But in golf, it's totally different. People want to share. They love it. I mean, there are, there are so many guys out on tour, for example, that love helping other people out because at some point in time, they were that person. And who were your were favorites? Who did that the most uh, from what you remember? I'll tell you one in particular. It was an older guy, Joe Durant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people may not know this, but Joe Durant was probably the best ball striker ever on tour <laughs> yeah. for years, years. And I played a ton of practice rounds with him and we were competing against one another. But, uh, I mean, he was as generous as he could be with any kind of info or any kind of guidance that, uh, that I would have wanted, you know, hanging around on the putting green with people, different guys all throughout the years. And I mean, I can't, I can't come up with names specifically off the top of my head, but I mean, I constantly saw people's advice on, you know, certain shots that they may hit, ways that they may hit shots, ways that they were, you know, practicing, you know, I mean, you just, you just don't get access to that anywhere else, you know, and being able to show up on a tee and, some some random guy there that's you know a top player in the world go play golf with them for nine holes or eighteen holes and 
you know, get a front row seat and watch what they do. I mean, that's just, there's no other industry that you get that type of access other than golf. But uh, it's something that the, I think the hardest thing for people is just being able to just go in and have the, the courage to ask. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you hit, how are you hitting that shot? You know, as long as you're not disrupting them, they're going to be happy to, to show it, to show you. I'll tell you this, like Jason Duffner, for example, he is extremely involved with the Auburn men's golf program. And, I mean, he, he offers up advice to them all the time. And there's a few of them that have come out and now are on tour. Even when people were on tour, I mean, he'd, he'd help as much as he could in terms of, you know, how to hit. He's really good at hitting shots around the green, especially spinning, spinning shots. And, you know, he'd do anything he could to help you. You know, I mean, if you couldn't hit the shot, you just couldn't hit the shot. But he would, uh, you know, he he would offer any kind of guidance that he could. And, you know, being able to pick someone like him, his brain, or just watch him practice it in, in Auburn, for example, play golf with him some, things like that. I mean, anytime you can do that, you're crazy not to. You're just, you're hurting yourself if you don't do it. You know, you talk about your practice. One of the things that I, I learned a lot from you is watching how you practiced. And one of the things that I took from you that I've applied to other players, I mean, I, I got a, a, you know, I had a basis of this from my years coming up under Hank and, and Mark Wood and Wayne, but, you know, you were very meticulous in the notes you took at the end of the lesson and how you wrote down and described what we did and your commitment to stick to just those things when you left. Then you just outworked a lot of people f- from there with it. But talk about, you know, how did you get that way? Because you were so meticulous with the notes. And at times you'd come down. Heck, you had, you know, you had binders of notes from your work with Hank and over the years and able to go through. And I think I think doing that is is valuable. I, I don't know that I think that folks get oftentimes they get lost and meander because they don't have good enough records or really remember enough what they did when they played good. Yeah, I think a lot of that started with Hank. He was real sensitive to the way the wording that you used or or that the students would use in describing what you worked on and whatever the fields that you had were. You know, it wasn't he would always say, All right, what do we work on? And and I would say and he'd say, Okay, what's a better way of saying that? Finally he he'd get me to what he wanted how he wanted me to think about it, but he was very careful, Hank was, in how he worded things. And so I learned early on in college that I need to be careful in the way that I took the notes, number one. And then number two, Hank was very adamant that you don't add to whatever the list is mm-hmm. that you're working on. Don't add to it. Don't 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 get off off track. You know, don't ask a buddy that's on the team to take a look at you that doesn't know anything about what you're working on. How often that like happens that. all the time, too. All the time. Now, it's okay if you've got a good friend of yours that knows what you're working on, knows what your golf swing is like, and, and knows, you know, can can immediately see if you're getting off track with what you normally do and what you're supposed to be working on. That's different. But just going to random people just because they're a good player and thinking that they can help you, you know, Hank nipped that in the bud really, really fast. So I would say both of those things came from, from working with Hank early on, he was a stickler for not adding to things and taking good notes, but also being meticulous in the way you word the notes. 
he mentioned that my core of teaching hasn't changed over the years. And I, and I tell folks all the time, I've, I've been so lucky because, you know, I think that the years I mentored under him were really, really critical. And, and they were such big formative years for me as a teacher. I, you know, I took, you knew, I took everything he said, like it was the gospel at the time, <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and you always call it the good stuff. You know, you'd always come down and go, you going to give me the good stuff. And, uh, but like, you know, heck, I, I mean, I learned to make a living doing that, teaching that stuff and, and just found a way to stick with it even, and then found ways to use all the technology that we have access to now to kind of supplement how you teach that message. But I think that, but I agree with you. I think having taken notes and then having some, you know, a set of fundamentals that you believe in and that you stick with is important when it comes to developing players, not changing your message or changing the direction just based on the new piece of technology that comes out every every year or so. I think, what, let's just say TrackMan, for example, because that's the biggest change to technology in the last 10 years. I think all TrackMan did was confirm that what you taught and what Hank taught you and what, you know, Wayne Flynn, I know you worked a lot, you know, you and Wayne have, have done a lot of work together. It just verified all that, right? I mean, it didn't, it didn't change anything about the way you teach. All it showed you was, oh, wow, it, what, what I'm doing is right. What I'm teaching is correct. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I think my core message or my basic understanding of what I teach, I don't think Lee has changed a no. great deal. Right. I think my understanding of things more, I think when I learned things from Hank, I probably didn't understand them as much. I mean, I did them because I'd learned them, but maybe didn't understand the cause and effect as much as I do now. And I, I think that the one thing that, especially with younger players, that technology has helped with is the ability to communicate and show people things and prove things, not necessarily change what I teach. Maybe I've gone in and refined some things about the pivot. I think I've learned, you mentioned, yeah, I, obviously I teach a lot of pivot. Everybody knows that, but like, you know, refined some of those things in my understanding of them. But I think technology's helped me maybe understand things and then explain it better to maybe a more variety of people. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the stuff that, that you teach is, in my opinion, like I, like, like you mentioned, <laughs> the good stuff. And that was a, actually a term that, that Hank used to use. I'm giving you the good stuff, Lee. I'm giving you the good stuff. And I mean, it really is. I mean, it's the stuff that you look throughout history. That's what, what the greats did. I mean, you look at all the success that, that Tiger had in the early 2000s. I mean, that's exactly what you teach. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. I think there's tons of similarities, right? And, and again, I think where I've developed and I think, that's why I kind of wish like you physically had been able to keep going is I think my ability to help people swing different ways, but based on those fundamentals, like, I mean, you and I talk all the time. I, I mean, like Lucas Glover swings way different than you do. Hits a different shape. Right. And, you know, and Robbie Shelton swings different and Luke Guthrie and, you know, Zach Suker and Sepp Straka. And so, you know, I think as we've gone along, taking that information and then developing understanding of ways to help people, you know, maximize what they can do, you know, especially tour players. Cause don't you think most guys, I think all guys that get to the PGA tour are already good or you wouldn't be there, you know? And, and that's, that's where I feel like guys that get on tour and then they hit the panic button and they go try to change a bunch. I think that's a recipe for disaster. Cause like you're already good and you're trying to change 
you know, things that you guys have done for years. I just don't see, I don't see people do that with success. Tiger probably being one of the few examples, right. Of somebody that's totally changed a, a pattern a few times and still been great. I mean, but I mean, there aren't many tigers. Right. I agree. And, you know, I think it, the fundamentals just look different on different people. I mean, it's like if you meet, if you meet five people and they're all really good people, none of them are going to look the same, but they have the same, the same, you know, moral compass, so mm-hmm. to speak. Same with golf. It's just that the fundamentals, they don't look the same on anyone, on everyone. But if you know what you're looking for, you can look at somebody who has a little bit of an unorthodox golf swing and someone who has a great golf swing and be able to say, oh, that unorthodox golf swing is actually better than the person's swing that looks really, really good if you know what you're looking for. You know what I mean? Right. The fundamentals just show up differently on different people. Like you said, you said you you made a, a great point a minute ago that, yeah, if you do look at all your guys that you work with, from Lucas to Luke to Sepp, Robbie, None of them swing it exactly the same, but you can tell that they all have the good stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> this has been fun. I could sit and to me, and we do like, you know, I, we'll call each other when we're in the car and we talk, we run, we'll ramble for an hour and then make fun of some folks. And I mean, you know, Wayne and the, one golf shirt he's had for 25 years that's faded that yellow one <laughs> that yellow one you know hey you gotta ask him you got to I, I sent him a new shirt with stripes so oh, he quit did. yeah so he quit wearing it <laughs> but did you, did you make him pay for it or you pay for it i paid for it wow you know wayne's as cheap as you buddy come on now so anyways as we kind of wrap this up i mean that and your story of always asking me how my hip is because they tell me i fell off my wallet because you'd complain about what i charged all the time look i've been saying it for years that uh here it comes (laughs) (laughs) that uh, and and there's a couple others you know uh that if you fell off your wallet it kill you (laughs) and you're definitely one of them i mean you you I couldn't afford your hourly right now, you know, as frugal as I am. Um, but, uh, but I tell you what, I couldn't, I couldn't be prouder of, of what you've done and, and the success that you're having. And I think I've, I've always told you that I believed in how good you, you, you were and how good I thought you would be. And, um, this was several years ago when you didn't have anybody on tour other than me. And now you've got several guys and, I'm sure you could add to it more if you wanted to, and I know you're picky about, you know, getting getting just the you know keeping it to a core group that you can manage, and I respect that too. But you know, I think what you're doing and the guys that you've got, I mean, I, I love watching it, and and I'm just uh, thankful that I was able to be a part of it early on, and that you and I can con- still continue to to talk and laugh and and hang out. Well, now that you're an eight handicap in the Jingle Bell, I mean. <laughs> I'm still, look, that whole Jingle Bell deal, I'm still trying to figure that whole thing out other than how it is not a subsidy for your and Wade's Christmas funds. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my hand around that whole Jingle Bell. But people can follow it on social media, too. Now the Jingle Bell's gone international. So <laughs> and yeah. it, there is some, ready, there is some rumor. There is some rumor that actually Wade Hamilton's were pre-printing who the winners of this year event are going to be on the giveaways. 
and that there's a rumor that Lucas and I have already been named 2019 champions. <laughs> but we want you to show up, Lee. Lee, let everybody know also because you're out of golf. I mean, you're not. I think you're playing. <laughs> you're playing more than ever. Obviously, not competitively. But what are you doing now? I mean, I know you're happy. I mean, you and Emily are doing great. It's just been so much fun. Like we've been catching up more and more. It's been fun hanging out with you. Well. I wish I could play more. I don't. I don't get to play a ton. My back still bothers me a lot when I play. But you know, I I try to play if I can once a week or, or somewhere around there. But still having the same same issues that I had. It's just a disease that it's not going to go away. But in terms of at life after golf, I was able to partner up with a, a wealth management firm in Homewood that's been around for 45 years called Nallen and Associates Wealth Management and. That has given me a new focus in life outside of golf and something that I was always passionate about when I played golf and, and it was kind of my hobby outside of golf was, uh, I read and enjoyed financial stuff, even so in college and where a lot of people are, you know, when they come home from the golf course, they're going fishing or, you know, maybe they're going and, and, uh, doing certain other things that they enjoy. My, my enjoyment came from reading. Financial stuff, which kind of probably sounds crazy to most people, but that's because you was, turned uh, cheap into a job and yeah, worrying about what I pay it, you into a job. It works in my favor now. But, <laughs> you know, I love it. I'm passionate about it, just like I was in golf. I'm doing the same stuff that I did in golf that we just talked about in terms of trying to surround myself with the right people and you know working my tail off and and uh, you know doing it in, a, in an ethical way and you know try to be someone that people want to associate themselves with and loving it lee you're the best it's been awesome catching up i'll look forward to catching up with you soon all right you can buy lunch (laughs) (laughs) thanks for having me all right buddy thank you so much for listening to this episode of the tour coach with tony ruggiero if you enjoyed this make sure to hit subscribe apple podcast spotify wherever you are listening to this podcast you can stay up to date because we have weekly episodes coming your way with fascinating people in the world of golf instruction at the highest level make sure to subscribe and stay tuned if you want to learn more about tony head over to dosweepersgolf.com to get all the details on what he's up to maybe you want to see him grab a lesson or go to one of his camps pick up his book lessons from the legends you can do that there if you want to see tony in action with some videos and other content head over to golfsciencelab.com slash tony to get more info there this episode was powered by the golf science lab and was edited mixed and produced by just hit published productions there's one thing if you know about me, if you've listened to the Dew Sweepers, you've come to listen to me talk, is you know I'm big on loyalty. We give 100% here at the Dew Sweepers. We put a lot of emotional investment into everything we do with every one of our players. And the same can be said for our partners and the folks that have been with us for the long haul and help the Dew Sweepers, help our juniors, help us get to our tour players. And so I want to give a special thanks to our sponsors. Our sponsors are, first and foremost, Buick and our local Buick dealers here around the Southeast, Shrixon Cleveland Golf, who've been with me for over a dozen years, and their belief and support of what we do here with the Dew Sweepers. And lastly, the folks at Vineyard Vines. The folks at Vineyard Vines love what we do with junior golf. They support us on the road. There isn't a better family or group of people that are going to help us look our best, play our best, and have more fun than the folks at Vineyard Vines. So special thanks to our sponsors, 
Please support those as you get the opportunity. And for more information about any of those, check us out at dewsweepersgolf.com, or you can always check me out on Instagram at the Dewsweeper.